This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooko. So we messed around with the timeline a little bit on this podcast. We've sort of had a couple of like half gap, oh yeah, covering for fucking Peach going on holiday and Shag going to Seoul. And we are lucky in that a number of the people who kindly tune in here care about our welfare and care about our personal lives. And so there's a bit of confusion there. And uh, look, tough. Like we're very, we're really busy. We got stats going on. The, the fact that it worries you that you don't know where we are is just that's just tough times. And I'm so sorry. Just don't shoot the messenger on that one. You're just gonna have to learn to grow up on that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> Peach, Peach. Usually, yes. people come back from a holiday like you have just done from Fiji, less antagonistic than they left. I'm back on my bullshit. After this holiday, <laughs> I got off the plane like fried with fucking anxiety and ready to like make the lives of other people in my professional world a lot worse because I was there. Peach, only you could come back from a, like come back from a holiday more anxious than you left. Like what? It's my superpower. <laughs> so um, only I could probably turn a holiday into homework as well. So, so, like, so what happened was um, I went away to a reasonably exclusive, like, Fijian island that's your, your fairly cliche palm trees, white sand, long way away from everything sort of experience. And, of course, what happened immediately when I got there, Shag, as I was just telling you off mic, is my body was like, oh, great, so we don't need to just be in fucking 24-hour fight-or-flight panic mode, um, let's get sick. And as you can probably... <laughs> and so, as you can probably probably imagine my response, because I was there with my family as well, and my extended family. And, and, yeah. and, and keeping up there, this is maybe the first holiday you've had in, like, eight years. Like, I can't... I, I honestly, like, you've definitely not had a holiday during this podcast. You needed this holiday more than anyone. And not even in that weird, like, privileged, oh, you need a holiday. No, Peach, you needed a holiday for the, for the sake of everyone in your life. <laughs> and so... And so we... <laughs> So he showed up and I and I fairly quickly got a bit sick and I was like, Peach, do not fuck up everyone else's holiday by being sick, <laughs> oh, all right? No. Just fucking keep it together. <laughs> so I was like, okay, firstly, don't like don't have COVID, you fucking idiot. Don't come to this small island and just breathe fucking COVID on everyone and like ruin a small economy. Um but in any case, it's like we're there with my family on my first night and I'm provided with, um, well, I may or may not have been provided with a um, generous serve of uh, medicinal cannabis in the form of a gummy. And so I had one of those. It's dry July. Or it's, it was still dry July, so I smashed it down with like four virgin pina coladas that are still pretty satisfying. <laughs> and 
went to bed that night with a pretty serious fever. And the reading materials I brought, Shag, as you know me, it was all like contemporary economics. Oh, and God, the thing, the thing that I read most recently before going to sleep is like predictors for success in adults. And the most successful at like the outlier success adults often have a parent who's died before the age of 15. And so the depths of my like, can, like, because I'm not very cannabis experienced, so my like feverish, can't sleep, like cannabis inflected, <laughs> completely fucking anxious and exhausted thought process was like maybe the best contribution I can make <laughs> <laughs> in my children's lives <laughs> is signing out of this thing. I'm laughing so much you're making me cough. Like whose brain would have undergone that thought pattern on a holiday except for you. By the end, things were a little better and we played a lot of touch footy on the beach and playing touch footy on the beach is like about my favourite thing to do in the world. So we did a lot of that. Read a couple more books which had less disturbing messages to deliver. Oh, Jesus. Um, (laughs) And got home okay. Food was reasonably good. Uh, And by the time you're listening to this, Dry July will be over. So uh, with thanks to a certain listener who knows who he is and knows we love him, uh, I'll be having a quiet reshes by the time you're listening to this. So no need to worry about your boy. I'll almost certainly be alive at the time you're listening to this. It's very likely that I'm alive as we speak. So, Peach, you know that I love you and the Spooko fam loves you. Mm. And this podcast, even though... They're only human. (laughs) (laughs) Even though... No, no, but even though this podcast Uh. is about testing your boundaries. It's still very Mm. much a safe space, right? Yes. Now, we had a bit of a false start after our dry spooko in which I wanted to come back with a great movie that everyone was going to (laughs) love, and then the black phone just sucked so much. So, So what I really wanted to do was come back with a movie that wouldn't test your boundaries too much, but that was also awesome. Yes. Kind of like, you know how everybody loves, I don't know, Peach, because you don't engage with popular culture in any way, unless it's pop economics or legal talk. (laughs) But have you seen the new Top Gun? No, nor the original. But it's funny, I've seen the preview for the new one and I still got misty about it. I was like, can't believe Ace is back for another round. (laughs) All right. The the reason why Top Gun Maverick is Tom Cruise's highest selling film of all time, a film that's universally loved by every single person. Oh, Top Gun Maverick, like the new one is his highest highest selling movie of all time. It's universally loved by every single person I've ever spoken to or read from about it Mm. is because... After years of COVID and climate scares and just just general shittiness in the world, mm. it was a film that gave you every single thing you wanted. It was basically like, remember this character? Here's this character. Remember this way? Here's that. Like, it literally gave you everything in this giant warm hug of a film that still didn't overstay its welcome. It's perfect for now. If this was released like two years ago when I think it was supposed to be released like pre-pandemic, it wouldn't have had the same effect. In the same way, the film we're doing today is the Top Gun Maverick of Spooko. I was watching this with Adele the other night, and I think we turned to each other maybe 20 minutes in being like, 
is this movie amazing? Do you want to keep... It was one of those things where it was late at night. We were kind of going to go to bed and I was like, maybe we'll put this on. And I was like, do you want to keep watching it? And I wasn't sure. And she was like, yeah, I think I do. And we kept watching it. And even though it wraps up really quickly and there's a lot of issues with it, in the same way that all things that are truly lovable are, it is the Top Gun Maverick of Spooko. So, Peach, for after your incredible, very peachy and holiday experience, <laughs> I've just got the warmest hug of a Spooko episode for yes. you. Yes. Peach, are you ready for... The red band strikes, strikes again. <laughs> Today on Spooko, we're doing a 1988, I know I'm surprised too, a 1988 John Carpenter cult classic called They Live. Sick. What do these things want, and why are they here? You still don't get it, do you, boy? They have recruited the rich and the powerful. They're running the whole show. Wake up! They're all about you, all around you. Blinded us to the truth! Take a look. They are safe, as long as they are not discovered. I don't know what they are, or where they came from, but we gotta stop them. Stay away from me! Put these on. They have us! Look at them! They're everywhere! We have no other choice. I don't like this one bit. Leave it alone, man. It ain't none of my business, ain't none of yours. We have been lulled into a trance. Is this where Obey comes from? The world's trouble. The whole world's trouble. What's your problem? Look, this old guy who would get the shit kicked out of him by other dude really wants it. (laughs) I said, what's your problem? What the fuck are you looking at, champ? Oh, is there not a trailer? I think you might have just watched a clip from the film, but that's okay. okay. That's okay. You kind of get the gist. And in fact, that clip is one of those fuck off moments that this film serves in abundance. So first of all, first of all, I need to say this. In a world that is increasingly divided and Spooko as a podcast wants to be part of the solution and not the problem, part of that is being the bigger person and admitting when you're wrong. So I want to say hand on heart, first of all. Ooh, hey, no, whoa, 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 no, no, no. Do no, I run is, this past me? No, before. no, I'm running it past you. I know, you're my legal counsel, okay? <laughs> so this is not an apology. You, you, like, you're just voicing. You, like, I'm, you're regretting, just I'm regretting yeah. if anybody ever took this. If anybody ever felt like I was implying that yes. old movies weren't good, yes. then I feel regret that you feel that way. Yeah, if it, like you regret other people feeling things, that's fine. You're like that's fun. It's a statement of regret. And I also regret if people ever listened to this podcast and somehow mm. yes took the message that films are boring. Yes, I regret that too. However, they might have received that message. It's... <laughs> because here's the thing: this is a movie from 1988, and so much about it is amazing because it's from 1988. When you fully immerse yourself in the reasons why it was made in that era, you realize that we've made all these changes to filmmaking and creation, and we get used to those changes to be like, this is the way things are made, not realizing that often progression doesn't necessarily mean things are better than they used to be. And this is one of those movies where I feel like it gets so much right and it could never have been made today. Sick. I do feel like from that excerpt I saw that there was an earnestness 
and a bluntness to it that is just completely unavailable to us now. Right, right. And this this is my point, right? So this movie was fucking tailor-made for Spooko. And I can't believe I've never seen it until now. And I'm glad because of this podcast I'm seeing it. And the cool thing about this movie is, Peach, you could absolutely watch this movie. Sick. The scariest thing are the aliens with their, like, fleshy faces. But apart from that... It's really not too scary. Anybody listening to this who has a problem, you know, even has like a really low threshold for scary movies could watch this too. But I'm so glad to share this with you because it is totally an underappreciated John Carpenter classic. It's probably more horror adjacent than horror, but it is created by John Carpenter and it is about scary aliens. So I put it in the horror adjacent category. That counts, yeah. But I guess the thing for me is this is like the pre-matrix, right? In the way that once your eyes are open to the way the world really is, you get really pissed off and you want to fight back. Like that's that was the whole point of the matrix. The problem with movies made post-noughties or, you know, like late 90s post-noughties or whatever, everything has to be really muddy. Like the matrix was made considering the creators with like the trans experience in mind and all sorts of other experiences, but now it's been co-opted into this weird like right-wing fable for realising that being conservative is the way to go, right? Because it didn't have the bluntness. This Mm. film, from the beginning, is like, fuck capitalism, and (laughs) advertising and mass media is only made to make you subservient. Like, you can't misinterpret this. This is what I love about it. There's no misinterpret... There's no, like, fucking... One of my favourite things to do on the internet is go to the site Song Meanings, where people submit their (laughs) ideas of what songs mean, and almost half of the answers are from Christians being like, I think it's about God, or I I think it's about actually coming to understand Jesus, and it's like, fuck you! But, of course, with a song, even with songs, it's like there's still all that, like, lack of clarity, but with a film where it's sound and vision and script and actors, and especially a film from the 80s like this, there is no mistaking what this film is trying to say. It got me so excited for that very reason. It got you all fired up, Shag. To <laughs> go far away. Yeah. You should look up the song Peaches referencing. It's one of the best songs ever made. All right, Check okay. out songmeanings.com. You'll find out what it's about. <laughs> it's about Jesus. <laughs> it's about Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> it's about how Jesus got fired up to leave his family <laughs> and go preach. To, to make some ears bleed from the sound of my preaching, baby. Oh, oh. All right, okay, so this is John Carpenter in 1988, already a super successful director, and yet this film was only a minor success. At the time, it Mm. got majorly panned for its social commentary, writing, and acting. However, like Carpenter's other films, it's later gained a cult following and now is considered one of his undersung classics. It's entered popular culture in many ways, so the Obey brand, as you pointed out, comes from this film. Yeah. Like, it literally was just, Obey as a brand was just lifted, like, wholesale from this film. And also, it features a six-minute fist fight, which I know probably doesn't, like, six minutes doesn't sound that long. Oh, six minutes sounds like the longest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) It's, yeah, six minutes. Six minutes, like, three future songs. Like, that's how long this this fight's in. Like, there's a lot about this film that's amazing, and... I'm so happy to be bringing it to your attention today. Sick. All right. Okay. So the film begins with a homeless. Remember, it's the 80s. So there's lots of homeless drifters. Um, A homeless drifter credited as nada, which, of course, in Spanish means nothing, comes to Los Angeles and we never hear his name. He's never Mm. he's never like we just know him as the character. He's that classic sort of film character who's a bit of a silent witness to everything that's happening. Mm. He's played by a Canadian wrestler called Roddy Piper. 
So he comes to Los Angeles in search of a job. While out on the street, he sees a street preacher warning that they have recruited the rich and powerful to control humanity. Yes, okay. Nada, after initially going to an employment office, and like from the beginning, it's like, this movie's like, fuck capitalism. So he goes to an employment office. There's like millions of people lined up. He is diligent. He goes to line up. The lady's like, there's no opportunities. You gotta leave, sort of thing. Like, (laughs) everything's a bit cold and heartless. Later, he shows up at a... Like, we're in, we're in Los Angeles, hey? We're meant to be feeling, feeling the pinch, feeling the pain. I've never been to Los Angeles. I don't understand the geography of it, but we're not in the flashy part of Los Angeles. We were in it's the just sort all of... roads, is my understanding. There's yeah. just roads there. We're in, a, we're in a downtown-y sort of office block sort of area. Anyway. So a Nakatomi Plaza kind of, kind of place. Yeah, that sort of vibe. Nice. So he goes so to... So there are roads and... The set of Die Hard are the two things that I'm pretty sure are in Los Angeles. So he goes to a construction site where he meets a guy called Frank who is played Mm. by Keith David. I want you to quickly look up Keith David because you 100% know Keith David. Apparently he's acted in more than 300 films. Oh, this is the voice actor we know well. He's in everything. He voices everything. It's weird seeing him in this film because he's very young in this film. Far away. Shag, like, like, what is that, like, old white guy pop called? You're, like, um, the hold steady, like... I don't know you know what you call that. Yeah, fuck. I like it. It's one of oh. my faves. Oh, oh, it's uh, it it knows its audience. <laughs> so, um, yeah, like this this is a handsome, charismatic, deep voiced, uh, person who is known for playing Doctor Facilia in the oh Doctor Facilia in the Princess and the Frog. Yeah, okay, fine. As well as Tobias Whale in Catwoman Hunted. Okay, no, I shouldn't fall down a hole of, uh, <laughs> <laughs> of hyperlinks. I'm like, what is that? Okay, cool. A- anyway, it's the mm. 80s, so he shows up at this construction site. I think both of them have their shirts off. And, Ooh, hey, hey. Well, no, it's that thing where, like, a lot of things in the 80s were, like, I don't know if they were intentionally homoerotic, but they were, like, super homoerotic, mm. but in a, in a, like, in a very innocent way. Where... Like in like 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 Predator was apparently like the reading of Predator is like oh it's just about dudes sleeping together and I'm like oh yeah, okay and... I missed that but that's cool and when I say innocent there's no one making like homophobic jokes like being like oh mm. I guess we should like it's just very sweet it's a bunch of guys with really great bodies hanging out to it together sick so they I'm on board I think they recognize each other they have like really awesome muscles so Frank helps him get a job there and then after work. When Nada goes, he's like, when do I get paid? And the guy's like, Thursday. And he's like, but I need money. And the guy's like, Thursday, because, like, fuck capitalism, right? Like, fr- yeah. like every line of this- <laughs> Capitalism loves Thursday, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's another band in that genre, actually, Thursday. Thursday, Thursday hated capitalism, too. You're right. In fact, Thursday would be on board with this movie. <laughs> Thursday would love this movie. All right. All right. So Frank takes him to a shantytown soup kitchen led by a man named Gilbert. And this shantytown on the outskirts of LA is like this utopian paradise. Yes. Full of sexy shirtless men. It sounds awesome. But also like just everybody's there happy and helping each other and trying to build each other's homes. And they're making like a really like nice looking home cooked meal that they all just line up for. And then they sit down and watch the sunset. 
in this shanty town, like eating their meals. Like it's this, it's this kind of like beautiful scene of like, oh, this is what humanity should be. Yes, this is what workers do if allowed to organize. And because this is the eighties, every shot goes for like a minute. So we're like half an hour into this film. Lots <laughs> of long shots. Nothing's lots of, happened. Nothing's <laughs> happened. And but but every shot is beautiful. The sound obviously is amazing. I just wanted to live in this film. At this point, I was like, I don't think I've had more fun watching a TV show in a long time. Sick. Anyway, so that night, okay, John Carpenter, ex machina. So that night, uh, that didn't make any sense. But what I just mean is, (laughs) so that night, a hacker takes over television broadcasts, claiming that scientists have discovered signals that are enslaving the population and keeping them in a dreamlike state, and that the only way to stop it is to shut off the signal at its source. Those watching the broadcast complain of headaches. Nada then secretly follows Gilbert, who's running the shantytown, and that preacher who he heard from before, into Mm. a nearby church and discovers the meeting with a group that includes the hacker who they saw on the TV. He sees scientific equipment and cardboard boxes inside. Nada is discovered by the blind preacher and runs out the door, pretends he hadn't seen anything, accidentally wandered in and escapes. Now that night, the shantytown and church are destroyed in a police raid. And this is probably actually the most horrifying scene in the film, seeing like giant riot police with their shields, like banging their clubs on the shields, bringing like a giant bulldozer and just bulldozing these homes. And even though it's the 80s and there's no nuance, I'm sure this has happened in real life. It must have. And has probably been happening very recently and in, you know, the developed world where we pretend these things don't happen. Like, it was genuinely one of those moments where I was like, oh, fuck. Like, it, 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 it was a moving moment in an entirely ridiculous film. I'm moved now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what gentrification is. Anyway, sorry, yeah, yeah, I'm with you. During the destruction of the shanty town, the hacker and preacher are beaten by police, but Nada escapes. The following day, Nada comes back to the town to survey the damage. It's just basically rubble. People are picking it through it trying to find their, like, meager possessions. So Nada sneaks into the church, finds, like, a hidden stash of boxes and takes it from the church. Now, he takes it into the city and while he's, like, in an alleyway near the trash cans, he opens a box and just finds, like, thousands of pairs of sunglasses. And he searches through it, expecting there's something to be hidden in there, but there's nothing. So he takes the box, stashes it away in a trash can, takes one of the pairs of sunglasses and walks out onto the street. Okay, and then I think your boy Peach might have seen. So this is the scene you've seen, and I recommend it to anyone. I, I feel like I might have seen it before. It should be, and probably is, if you study film, one of the more famous scenes in genre film history. Basically, he puts on those sunglasses, and what happens when he puts on the sunglasses? The world goes black and white, but all of a sudden, every advertisement is just replaced by an order. The first order he sees is one that says obey. And then he takes it off and it's just an ad for like a computer program. Then he puts it back on and he sees obey. And he's like, what the fuck? Then he looks at another advertisement that's for a holiday uh, with like a sexy lady on it. Mm. He puts his sunglasses on and it says marry and reproduce. And then he takes the sunglasses on and it's just an ad. Then he goes to a news agent. Fuck, remember news agents. Jeez. Like R.I.P. You know, I couldn't buy The Economist at the airport leaving <laughs> or the airport coming home. 
And the newsagent I went to on the way home was full of fucking chocolates and chips and didn't have any fucking newspapers in there. Like, I am old enough oh. to love reading a magazine on planes and yep. it's it's impossible unless I want to read a Sudoku magazine. It's kind of a bit impossible. <laughs> or a grown-up colouring in book, yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. <laughs> also, like... I just make a podcast or something. Just like, oh, best of luck to my grown up <laughs> colors in though. Like I feel part, like I've half pity, half envy, you know, half <laughs> I'm like, no nah, wasting your life. And half I'm like, well, but at least you're like happily. <laughs> Actually, about Pete, you should a hundred percent be doing <laughs> yeah. some grown up coloring. My God. <laughs> Fuck. Maybe I should. Fuck. All right. So. <laughs> Maybe I should just buy some more stuff. So when he puts the glasses on and looks at the news agent, Mm. All of the news, all of the papers and magazines just have single words on them that say things like conform, reproduce, consume. Yeah. Now, while he's at the newsagent and he's like, what the fuck's going on? There's a snooty rich guy reading, you know, the Financial Times or whatever. And the glasses reveal that this guy has this horrible fleshy face. It's basically what a skull with muscles still attached looks like. So exposed Mm. eyeballs, exposed like teeth roots. Different shades for all the different muscle on the face. The faces are quite mm. horrific and probably the scariest thing about it. And the guy also just... had the attitude of like a youth at Mount Druitt train station. If you've never been to Australia, if you've never been to Australia, Mount Druitt is like one of the, according to our parents, one of the rougher places in Sydney. It's also low socioeconomic. So, you know, it's kind of uh, what no. culture does, right? It goes, it's yeah. a poor area. So you should be scared of it. Now that one four's blown up, I expect it's in the process of being gentrified. But like, <laughs> I I mean, it, the, like this old guy has full like, what the fuck are you looking at, champ? Energy <laughs> to this guy. It's so really I, weird. So, Peach, again, this film is not subtle, and if you haven't worked it out yet, you'll find out very soon that all the people who are aliens are all the rich assholes of the world. Like, and I love the lack of nuance. It's like the rich people rich are people the bad are guys. Aliens. Yeah, they're bad. <laughs> so Nada is like walking around in a daze. This scene is so fucking amazing. He's just like wandering around being like, what the fuck? He goes into a supermarket and notices that all the rich people are like who are buying at this like fancy supermarket, all the workers are people, but all the rich people are aliens. And there's an alien woman at the counter and she's basically like, well, I never, you bumped into me, blah, blah, blah. And he's basically like, it, like it says a really 80s insult. I can't remember what it is, but he's like, well, you look like melted cheese on a hot dog or something like that. And she's just basically like, oh. And then he, then he's like, do you see? Like, you look normal now, but I put on the glasses and I can see who you really are. So then she's like, into, speaks into her watch and she's like, I found a guy. And it looks like he can see us. Nada leaves, but is confronted by two alien police officers. He kills them both and steals their weapons. Oh, uh, are we... It gets hardcore quick. Okay. He steals a shotgun. He then enters a bank where he sees that several of the employees and customers are aliens. So he kills them all with a shotgun and escapes by taking an employee of the nearby television station, Cable 54, whose name is Holly Thompson Hostage. He takes her home. And at Holly's home, Nada tries to get her to try on the glasses, but she knocks him out of the window and down a hill and calls the police. Fair enough. Nada escapes, obviously. The next day, Nada returns to the alleyway and retrieves the sunglasses from a garbage truck. You see, if this was made today, this would be a very, like, concerning 
has he gone mad? Like, is this mm. like, are we witnessing a murderous yeah. delusion of someone having a psychic break from reality, or is this actually happening? And oh, I expect God. this movie is going to be like, hey, it's not made up; it's a real thing. Like, yeah, it's you're right, be- and it'd be like, hey, no, this film is actually saying the rich people were the good people all along. <laughs> they were actually the victims. Of this madman. <laughs> Earnest filmmaking is is like... Is it at the I best? Do, I, I do feel like it's by God. Like, imagine if someone made Fight, fight Club today. You'd be like, <laughs> oh, my fucking God, are you serious? Do you remember when Fred Durst in, like, 2001 was like, I watch Fight Club every single day. <laughs> it's my favourite movie. And we were all like, fuck yeah. Limp Bizkit's <laughs> the greatest man in the world. <laughs> Can't wait for the new Thursday <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. All right. Okay. So we said, so Nada goes to this alleyway, gets the sunglasses back before Frank meets Nada to give him his paycheck. Because remember, he didn't get his paycheck. So he had to uh, wait till Thursday because capitalism loves Thursday. <laughs> capitalism understands the time value of money and so will retain your wages for as long as possible. Anyway, Nada tries to get Frank to put on the glasses, but Frank thinks Nada is a murderer and wants nothing to do with him. Uh, yeah, because it's the 80s. He he's is like, a nah, murderer. man. Yeah, no, but he's like, nah, you killed too many people. I don't want anything to do with He's I don't basically want any like, from you. take your paycheck and get out of here, you murderer. Like, it's the 80s. It's the best. So, anyway, so Nada's like, you got to put on these glasses. Frank's like, no, you're a murderer. They proceed to have a six minute brawl. Like, I've never seen any. What's it about? Well, no, it's just like they're in an alley. They start by punching heaps. Then they get into like, you know, headlocks and like foot locks and leg locks or whatever. Then they get a, you know, a piece of wood and start hitting each other with the wood. It's a very hilariously choreographed long fight. And in interviews with John Carpenter, they're like, why was the fight so long? What's the significance? And he's like, Roddy Piper's a wrestler, so I decided to give him a really long fight scene. Like, like six minutes, though. It's six minutes. Like a thousand years. It's really weird. Like, Adele and I were watching. I think we had a conversation, turned back. We were like, oh, the fight's still going. <laughs> had another conversation and then turned back. And the, we were like, oh, no, it looks like the fight is about to end. It didn't end. Had another conversation <laughs> and then turned back and it ended. Uh, I do sort of love the simple arrogance of a filmmaker being like, mm, I didn't think about the <laughs> audience. I wasn't thinking about the audience. I just thought. This guy was here and he'd probably be the sort of guy to do this sort of stuff. So it's what he's good at. Why would I give him that? <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. So after the fight, Frank is too tired to prevent Nada from putting the sunglasses on him. After, and that's the other thing. They have a six-minute fist fight. Oh, it's about the sunglasses. The, I thought it was about the sunglasses. But, but they have a six-minute fist fight. And at the end, they're not sore. They're just tired. They're like... Ooh, what a crazy fight. <laughs> I'm going to need to stretch <laughs> after a, this long fight. That was a tiring fight. <laughs> That's what it is. Anyway, so... That is how fights end. You're like, oh, that was a bit crazy. <laughs> so, so Nada puts the sunglasses on Frank, who sees the aliens, and they also have these, like, mini flying saucers that keep track of people that Nada has, like, killed one at some point with a shotgun during the film. Anyway. Why, why have they not killed Nada's yet? Like, how is he evading them? Also, again, the simplicity of this film, Frank revealed earlier that he didn't want any part of his murdering because he's got a family. But once he realizes aliens exist, Frank goes into hiding with Nada and we never hear about Frank's family again. <laughs> he's like, ah, well, off we go. <laughs> so Frank and Nada run into Gilbert, who leads them to a meeting of the anti-alien movement. At the meeting, they are given contact lenses to replace the sunglasses. 
I thought the aliens were surveilling everyone. How do they not know about the anti-alien? Well, well no. Well, they kind of do, but also they, they're not perfect, right? But get this. Learns that the aliens are using global warming to make Earth more like their own planet and are depleting the Earth's resources for their own gain. But it, yes, but it strikes me they're enjoying being rich, though. They're in the stores yes. going like, well, I never. Yes, yeah, but they'll, then they'll just move on to another planet. But the whole point is it's like they don't care about society or people or the planet. They just want to use the resources and enjoy themselves and subjugate everyone else. Like it could not be clearer of a message. There's no way you can misinterpret they live. This does feel very echo chambery though as well of like we are the good guys. No, but this is in 1988. This is in 1988 yeah. before yeah. echo chambers. Even that term didn't really exist because you couldn't really <laughs> you couldn't really have one. Yeah, fair. You're not going to dial up internet. <laughs> <laughs> you have a bulletin board, an actual literal bulletin board. <laughs> like, yeah, man. Like, it, like it didn't exist. A like zine the, echo chamber. Like, that's the other thing. This film couldn't be made now because it'd be like, ugh, liberal propaganda at its finest. Like, <laughs> this was before that term even existed. Anyway, all right. So, okay. They also learned that the aliens have been bribing humans to become collaborators, promoting them to positions of power. Holly arrives at the meeting apologizing to Nada. Turns out, like, I can't remember what happened here. She also, either joined Nada the meeting. Did kidnap her, violently yeah, kidnap her? Yeah, right? like, I, I think she was in on it or she wasn't. I don't know. I don't yeah, know. But yeah. there's, look, it's at this point, the film sort of falls apart, but yeah, not okay. in a way that's not completely unlovable still. Okay. Okay, so the meeting is raided by police and the vast majority of those present are killed with the survivors, including Frank, Nada, and Holly, scattering. Nada and Frank are cornered in an alley, but they accidentally activate an alien wristwatch. Now, remember those alien wristwatch? At, uh, at some yes. point earlier in a film, somebody uses it not only to communicate, but to, like, zap themselves away. Sick. They accidentally open a portal through which they jump through and escape. This is where things get wild, okay? So the portal takes them to the alien spaceport, where they discover a meeting of aliens and human collaborators celebrating the elimination of the terrorists. They are approached by a former drifter they briefly met in the shantytown, now a collaborator, who gives them a tour of the facility. It's very deus ex person they met in the shantytown because he's basically oh, like, nice. let, me, let me show you what all the aliens are doing and what their plans are. So here's the thing they're doing here, <laughs> and here's where they escape. And you're here's... a collaborator, right? You're not, you're not here to <laughs> blow up the aliens or anything. We're all on the same team, right? Good, good, okay. <laughs> he leads them to the basement where the Cable 54 studio is, the source of the signal, which is protected by armed guards. Nada and Frank find Holly and fight their way like, to... Don't fuck up the signal in here. This is the whole... Yeah, yeah, basically, basically, no, basically, yeah, basically. This is like, the hole I'm... in the Death Star. Remember the Star Wars with the hole in there? Do, <laughs> not, do not fuck around with this signal in here. So Nada and Frank find Holly and fight their way to the transmitter on the roof, but Holly kills Frank, revealing that she too is a human collaborator and clearly was the one who told the aliens about the meeting leading to most of the terrorists being destroyed. Oh, I don't like that at all. That's... So Nada's like, fuck that, kills Holly and destroys the transmitter and is fatally wounded by aliens in a helicopter. Nada gives the aliens the middle finger as he dies. (laughs) With the transmitter destroyed, we end on a montage of humans all over the world waking up from their dreamlike state and realising that aliens are hiding amongst them, including the final scene, which, because it's the 80s, 
includes a topless woman on top of a man who looks down and realizes the man she's having sex with has an alien face. And he's like, what's wrong, baby? And that's the end of They Live. Uh, we mentioned The Matrix earlier. I, I feel like John Carpenter would like it'll just die to recut the film with a Rage Against the Machine song closing it <laughs> as as the Matrix did as well. <laughs> <Da-na-na-na>, <laughs> yeah, that yeah, yeah. Um but Peach, like tell me I thought it was great. Right? Yeah, right? Like, super fun. Super fun. I'm I'm totally unsurprised to hear about how fun it was. I'm totally unsurprised. Oh, I'm actually pretty surprised to hear that it's a classic. Like it's so I mean, the so the so bad it's good thing has never really made sense to me, right? Because it's like I'd probably rather just watch something good than something that's famous. <laughs> you know, like, like, just, I'm like, oh, it's shit. It's really shit. It's like, oh, awesome. <laughs> just let me know when there's something good to watch. Um, so I'm I'm slightly resistant on that, but. It was fun. It was certainly diverting. I'm sort of struck by the little details. Obey, like the brand, it's it, it just is literally what's in the film. I was just literally, like, okay. Like, they didn't even change it. It's the same font. It's the the you know the same kerning or whatever you whatever font terms are. It is that. Yeah, it's just sort of a little jarred by that. Um, but it sort of looked great nonetheless. I was sort of quite quite struck by how stylish it was. But like John Carpenter's career is weird, right? So, mm. uh, I mean, this is sort of schlocky, trash-ish. But then, like, the thing is thought of as a bit of a classic. Ha- like, Halloween is a cla- is, is surely like one of the classics of modern cinema. Okay, so Halloween is a classic loved by everyone. The Thing is a classic loved by like cult fans. He's mm. also got things like Escape from New York. Oh, of uh, course. He's got Assault on Precinct 13. He's got Big Trouble in Little Big China. Big Trouble in Little China. Fuck, of course. Like This is so weird. It's weird. Like it's weird to make a dumb a shit film that's sort of a lovable shit film like this. It's it's what you said before. It's not shit. It's earnest. And I think yeah, okay. I think the I think you're right. I hate the phrase "so bad it's good." It's the same thing with guilty pleasures. Often they're just pleasures. Yeah. Like a guilty pleasure is just a pleasure, right? Yeah. And so bad it's good. Often the films are actually good, but for some reason, by, by some metric or some personal embarrassment or whatever, yeah, it's uncool. You can't yeah. admit to say that, right? Because mm. I agree with you. It's like. You have finite hours in your life. There is yep. way too much art for anybody to consume. Why would you spend it watching stuff that yep. you know is bad? Like, why would you do it, right? So, mm. uh, like, I genuinely think this film is a good film. I think there's a reason it's a cult film. And I also, like, kind of, you know, coming back to Rage Against the Machine, it's like you, you can you can laugh at their impact. You can say it's weird that they play stadiums and charge, like, 200 bucks for tickets. But... Those songs they implanted into teenagers' heads led to adults who now are questioning things like, fuck, like maybe we should be looking after each other and be thinking a bit more collective rather than individualistic. Same way I think this film, in its bluntness and in its earnestness, absolutely at the time was panned. But now, not only is it a cult classic, there must be people who see this and think, fuck, like maybe I do need to wake up. The microphone explodes, shattering the mold. No, that's, you either that's, drop the hits like Dale and Noah, get the fuck off the parade. commode with the sure shot. That's about the military-industrial complex. Sure to make the bodies drop. Hang on, is it? 
dropping a couple of corners of up. Terror rain's drenching. Quit. Yeah, you're right, Jay. It Fuck, is. I really should get back to songmeanings.com and sort this shit out. <laughs> uh, this was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe, and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And Resh's, what's up?